So especially for triathletes uh, who are unlike gymnasts or figure skaters who need a, a, an extravagant amount of range of motion, um, as a runner, you just need a moderate range of motion. So a, um, a foam roller would help to provide that. That triathlon so 141. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Professor David Baim on the topic of foam rolling. We go into what foam rolling is good for, what it's not necessarily so good for, when to do it to get the benefits that you want, how to do it, what sort of protocol you should be using what specific foam roller, how hard should it be, how dense do tennis balls work, all sorts of questions that you may have been wondering or not, but now you realize that exist around foam rolling, they will be answered in this episode. It's really, really practical and actionable. But before we dive in, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. You can click the link down in the episode description to go directly to take their free online sweat test to learn how much electrolytes you need for your individual sweat sodium content and sweat loss rate to replace the electrolytes that you're losing and not suffer the consequences of impaired performance, especially when you do prolonged exercise or racing and when you do it in hot conditions that most of Europe at least is seeing at the moment. So to get your hands on some Precision Hydration product, you can within August actually get 20% off on precisionhydration.com using the promo code TTS20. That's TTS20 for 20% off. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. That's R-O-K-A.com. That's where you can go to shop for wetsuits, apparel, sunglasses, other triathlon equipment like goggles, bags, hats and visors, etc. And they really are the world's leading performance design company. Since they launched in 2013, Roka athletes have won over a dozen world titles. And in Rio, for example, in 2016 in the Olympics... Roka sent an incredible 18 athletes to the Olympics and took gold and bronze as well. So if you want to unlock your triathlon performance with the greatest, most innovative, most technologically advanced and highest quality products, like whether it's a swimsuit, wetsuit or sunglasses, definitely go and shop on roka.com. And you can get 20% off using the promo code that triathlon show, all one word, all caps, on your entire order. So just a quick background of my guest, David Baim. He's a university research professor at the Memorial University in Canada. He actually himself comes from a football, American football background. And he has published over 220 peer-reviewed articles on topics relating to how muscles respond to acute and chronic activity, whether it's resistance training, stretching, or foam rolling, which is the topic for today. So let's dive right in and listen to what David has to say about foam rolling. 
I'm here with Professor David Baim to talk about foam rolling. David, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Really brilliant. I'm having a, a podcasting a podcasting day here, so doing a lot of interviews uh, and uh, excited to dive into foam rolling. That's a, a favorite tool of mine, but I don't really know anything of the science behind it. And uh, that's what we are going to dive into. So why don't you give us a brief overview of the work that you've done on foam rolling and uh, also about what your specific research interests in general are and how you have kind of uh, come on to this this topic of foam rolling specifically? Sure. Well, we've published uh, about 14 papers uh, so far in this area, foam rolling and rolling massage. And um, we've got two more that I'm collaborating with that we should uh, submit uh, quite soon. Um, often when people think of scientists, they think of you know the Einsteins, etc., who come up with these brilliant ideas. Um, other scientists like myself tend to uh, follow rather than initiate, it seems. And and throughout my career, I've often seen new devices being used in uh, in training, and I'll always wondered whether they actually worked or not. Because of course, there's there's many devices out there that are just a sham to make money. So I've done uh, quite a bit of research on uh, instability resistance training, which you know using Swiss balls or stability balls and such. Um, and we've also when I, I'd say about 10 years ago, I would have walked into a weight room and seen that they were using these uh, foam rollers. And so once again, I would wonder, well, do they actually work? So um, we've done, as I mentioned, quite a few studies. And uh, what we found, and just to give you a real general uh, synopsis, is that uh, almost every study shows an increase in range of motion. Um, we've shown that even five seconds of rolling can increase range of motion, but typically if you do 30 to 60, it would even be better. Um, we found that uh, for the most part, there's not a great increase in performance, but there are some studies that have shown some uh, improvements in uh, acute performance. We've uh, done a longitudinal study, a chronic training study, and, and and did not find any increases in range of motion or performance, but the acute studies do show that. We've seen decreases in pain with uh, foam rolling, and um, we've seen changes in corticospinal excitability and H reflexes. We've done work on how intense the rolling should be. So we've done quite a few different aspects of rolling. So do most of the studies show some form of positive result, whether that's just acute increase in range of motion or are there studies that uh, haven't shown any significant results there are uh, a few studies that have not shown an increase in range of motion but um off the top of my head i think there might be two or three whereas there's probably in the literature now i'm going to say over 30 studies on foam rolling i would guess uh, perhaps even a, a few more. So I would say that you know maybe five percent of them don't show an increase in range of motion, whereas almost every other one does show an increased range of motion. That's that's with a number of different muscle groups. So for instance, we've looked at increases in range of motion with the uh, the hamstrings, the quadriceps, the plantar flexors, and uh, and in fact we've we're going to submit this article uh, quite soon. We've shown that you can foam roll your quadriceps and your hamstrings and then get this global response that is uh, foam roll your quadriceps and hamstrings and your shoulders will have a greater increase in range of motion 
So there's a, there's a, uh, a systemic or global response to this uh, foam rolling, which helps us to understand how it works as well. Wow, that's super interesting. Uh, so this is maybe the most important question of uh, the today's interview, but would you then recommend that athletes and uh, let's talk about endurance athletes and triathletes specifically here that they that they do foam rolling based on uh, the results that are available in the literature yes definitely because as i said number one um, you have an acute increase in range of motion if you do and again a lot of the research that we've done has shown that prolonged static stretching more than 60 seconds all by itself tends to impair performance so we we don't see that with foam rolling so especially for triathletes uh, who are unlike gymnasts or figure skaters who need a, a, an extravagant amount of range of motion, um, as a runner, you just need a moderate range of motion. So a, um, a foam roller would help to provide that. What we've also found um, in one of the studies that we're, uh, again, just hoping to submit soon is that, for instance, in soccer, uh, we've had people foam roll at the half time period. And we found that uh, in many studies, we've shown that the half time period, the 15 minutes of sitting around causes a detrimental effect in the second half. But if you foam roll, then you don't have those detriments or impairments in the second half. In another study where we uh, looked at, we were thinking about basketball players, for example. And so you have your first string basketball player sitting on, um, I'm sorry, uh, first string players go on right after the warm-up and they're fine but your second stringers are sitting on the bench for 10 15 minutes maybe 20 minutes and then the coach uh, tells them to go into the game and they're sitting there cold they've lost all the positive effects of the warm-up so what we did is we had people do a warm-up and then they rolled every 10 minutes afterwards and the individuals who rolled every 10 minutes afterwards maintained their increases in range of motion by just rolling for 30 seconds so Yes, I certainly would see that uh, rolling would certainly be helpful. And we found, for instance, some performance enhancements. So, for example, we found an improvement in the neuromuscular efficiency during the lunge action. So what that means is that we would measure the electrical activity of the muscle when somebody is doing a lunge, and then we would roll them, and then they'd do it again. And what we'd found in general is that there'd be less electrical activity after they rolled. So therefore, they would not need as much activation of muscles to do the same activity. So you're more efficient when you're rolling than when you when you don't roll. Interesting. And uh, you mentioned there, like a lot of these things come back to using foam rolling as a range of motion or flexibility enhancer before you actually are going to do training or a game or racing. Is that generally what has been studied, like using foam rolling in that manner? Or at what time points in uh, relation to training or racing have you have you investigated foam rolling? Yeah, so we've investigated foam rolling, as I mentioned before, as a part of a warm-up, and we, we found that to be effective. We've also looked at foam rolling as a strategy to try and attenuate or decrease delayed onset muscle soreness. And so we've had a, a couple of studies where we've induced delayed onset muscle soreness and then examined the, um, the subjects 24, 48, and 72 hours, or one, two, and three days later, to see if there is changes in the muscle soreness, in the inflammation, and their performance. And so what we found is that when a person has a really hard workout and they are, have induced damage from the exercise, 
then of course there's performance decrements. Everybody knows that. But if you roll every day, um, what you'll find is that there'll be less pain, there'll be uh, less inflammation, and the performance impairments that you typically have and force and power and, and those sort of measures are, uh, are decreased. So you don't have as many impairments if you roll after your um, hard workout as well. So it's, it's important to roll before and it's important to roll afterwards. Mm, yeah, and that's something that I want to piggyback on when you mentioned uh, static stretching uh, in terms of doing it before workout and how that impairs performance. But uh, from uh, what I know, if I'm not mistaken, doing it after workouts, static stretching is still something that can be recommended for some in in case you want to increase the the length of the of the muscle and or the flexibility of of the muscle. But it's specifically for doing after the workout or just as a standalone exercise of the day and not before because you're right that before there have been a lot of studies that uh, or uh, at least some studies showing that it can uh, decrease performance yeah well i want want to clarify that because lately we've just published two studies and we did a um, a meta-analysis and it's absolutely true if you stretch for prolonged periods and a prolonged period is typically more than 60 seconds of static stretching by itself in isolation as as your warm up then you're likely to have impairments but in the recent studies that we've done what we we've uh, added is uh, a full warm up so a full warm up is usually an aerobic 5 minutes of aerobic activity you know you know jog around the track or get on a, a cycle ergometer or whatever um, then we added 60 seconds or less of static stretching and then we did sports-specific activities afterwards. So, of course, if you're a basketball player, you do um, shots and and uh, and passes, and same with hockey players, et cetera, et cetera. If you have a full warm-up, then doing 60 seconds or less of static stretching doesn't affect performance. So you, you get the advantages of a, a increased range of motion um, without performance decrements. But you You've got to make sure you do a full warm-up so the dynamic activities counteract any possible decrements from the static stretching. Now, you asked about how about afterwards. Well, certainly, you can certainly stretch afterwards, but I would not recommend um, extensive or high-intensity stretching after you work out because your muscles are fatigued. And so if you've got fatigued muscles and then you're putting them under high stress – there is the possibility that you could injure them. So I would certainly use uh, lower intensity stretching after uh, my workout in order to perhaps uh, accelerate recovery, um, move the metabolites out of the muscles uh, quicker. But if you really want to get a dramatic, or I shouldn't say dramatic, significant increase in range of motion, just like weight training, it should be a separate workout so that way you're fresh and then you can um, focus on on the stretching. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's really good that you clarified that, and and great that uh, you've done those studies as well, and uh, and the meta analysis of of the available research. Uh, going back to to foam rolling, what what are the protocols? Like, how long do you foam roll? Which muscle groups? How any other? How how do you do it really? 
Yes. Well, as I mentioned, one of our studies, we thought, what's the minimum you can do? And in, in that study, um, we found five and 10 seconds actually increases range of motion. The 10 seconds of rolling was better than the five seconds. When, in many other studies, we've done 20 and 30 and 45 seconds of rolling, 60 seconds of rolling. Uh, it seems that between 30 and 60 seconds of rolling probably gives you the best results. And typically, we've used a one hertz frequency, meaning we go down the muscle for one second and then back up the muscle for one second. And we found that that's been effective as well. Some people have asked me about, uh, for instance, rolling the IT band, the iliotibial band, and is that effective? We haven't looked at that, so I really uh, can't answer that to a great degree. But I would imagine that it should have some effect um, the reason that should be is because of what's known as what's called thixotropic effects. Now, what a thixotropic effect is, is imagine, here's a great a example I read lately. Um, you have a bottle of ketchup. You open up your bottle of ketchup and you try and pour it and nothing comes out. So you close it up, you shake the bottle of ketchup and then you uh, open it up and the ketchup comes out. The reason it didn't come out in the first place was because it was highly viscous. It was thick. It was dense. When you shook it up, you added stress and strain to the liquid, and that's this thixotropic effect. It decreases the viscosity of the liquid to make it more fluid-like. So when you're rolling your muscles and or rolling your connective tissue, like your IT band, then you're adding stress and strain to those tissues, and they will experience this thixotropic effect decrease the viscosity of the fluids inside the tissues and allow you to have a greater range of motion. Interesting, very interesting. And so going back to the protocol then, what? Uh, so 30 to 60 seconds is the ideal and there would be uh, 15 to 30 repetitions if you use that one hertz uh, frequency uh, go rolling up and rolling down. And uh, would you then go cover like the quads and the calves and uh, the hamstrings, any other muscle groups? Does that depend on the sport? What can you tell us about that? Absolutely. It would depend on your sport. So um, you know, whatever you would typically do for, uh, for stretching in order to uh, <clears throat> increase range of motion of those muscles, whether it be basketball, football, soccer, American football, etc., it would seem to me that uh, any muscle that you rolled would have similar uh, effects. Mm, yeah, okay. What about the different kinds of foam rollers? I mean, there are different uh, uh, softness or hardness levels of them and even some various alternatives to foam rollers like uh, tennis balls and, and some other commercial products. Have you studied them and or what do you know about the different alternatives that are out there? We haven't studied the density of the foam rollers. One of the first studies ever uh, published uh, did look at the density, and um, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I, it did find that a harder roller, what there was something about a harder roller being more effective, but I don't remember what they actually measured. It wasn't a performance measure, and it wasn't range of motion. Um, it may have been something more basic in terms of uh, perhaps tissue stiffness or something. Um, there are, uh, as you say, there's a number of different rollers out there of, of varying uh, densities. Uh, one study that we did do was to take a look at 
what intensity of, of uh, rolling would be most um, uh, effective. And in this study, what we did is we would uh, identify, you know, the, the greatest pain threshold of the person when they're rolling, and then we'd roll them at uh, 50 and 75% of that and 90% of that. And what we found, which was really interesting, is that you don't need to kill yourself. You don't need to go into pain. There is no difference in the increase in range of motion, whether you're at 90% or 75% or at 50%. So it doesn't have to be a, a killer workout in order for it to be effective. I've also read a number of studies, and we've, we've collected some data but haven't published it. Uh, one of the things that's out there nowadays are vibrating foam rollers. And um, I know I've, I've gotten some feedback from some athletes, and they seem to uh, like the feeling of a vibrating foam roller. But so far, although there's not many studies, there might be three or four so far, uh, the studies are kind of conflicting. And uh, in some cases, uh, they've found that the I think in one case, they found that the vibrating foam roller provided a greater range of motion than a regular foam roller, but in the other cases, they did not. In most cases, they didn't find any you know, uh, increases in performance. So it certainly wouldn't hurt you to use a vibrating foam roller, but uh, whether it's better than just a foam roller on itself, uh, the, the jury is still out on those vibrating foam rollers. And what about uh, the tennis ball, for example, which is uh, actually my physiotherapist has recommended me a lot to use the tennis ball for various things that I need to do to to keep injury free. And uh, maybe it hasn't been studied, I would imagine. But what is your gut feeling? Is it can that be used as well as a foam roller to 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 get those, the same effects, basically? Yeah, certainly. Um, foam roller is, is a, a, usually a long rod. Uh, well, a roller massage is a long rod and a foam roller is a, a long cylinder. Um, so you might not be able to get at a particular point that might be bothering you. So perhaps using something like a, a tennis ball would allow you to pinpoint and be more specific in the area that you're trying to uh, um attack. So uh, I, I see it working in the same way, as I mentioned, the thixotropic effect. I'll also mention uh, the other thing that um, that it does is that um, it helps in pain reduction. And, uh, you know, often you read in the literature, they call the foam roller a self-myofascial release technique. And what we found is that's not a proper name at all because it's not really releasing any fascia. According to a researcher named Schleip, he says that you need supraphysiological forces in order to do anything to the fascia. So you'd have to be like Superman to be able to to be able to apply enough force to to break up adhesions in your in your uh, fascia or your myofascia. But what we found though is that we did a really interesting study where we two different studies and one we identified muscle tender points in the calf in the other study, we actually elicited pain in the calf by using electrical stimulation. And then what we did was we either roll that calf, we would massage that calf, or, this is a really interesting part, we would roll the opposite calf, the contralateral calf. And then, of course, as usual in science, you do a control uh, condition. And what we found was that if you roll the calf that hurts, you massage the calf that hurts, the pain decreases. But again, the interesting part is you can roll the contralateral calf, the opposite calf, and pain decreases. So obviously, uh, if you don't even touch the calf, 
that hurts and the pain goes down. It can't be because you're releasing fascia. There has to be some sort of either physiological inhibition going on that the afferents from the opposite side are, are, are sending signals up through the spinal cord to the central nervous system and causing some sort of global inhibition, which could be due to what's called a, uh, a gate control theory, or there's another theory called diffuse noxious inhibitory control theory, or it could also be a psychological thing. What I mean by, uh, I should say, psychophysiological. What I mean by that is that um, you, you can have uh, an increase in pain tolerance so this diffuse noxious inhibitory control mechanism means, for example, let's say you uh, hit your toe against the wall and it hurts. Well, if you started uh, hitting your hand against the wall, then the toe wouldn't feel as bad. And that's because it causes a global um, decrease in pain throughout the body by uh, circulating some of those endorphins and enkephalins, etc., so there is either a physiological or psychophysiological effect going on to reduce pain with rolling. Mm, okay. Uh, so if we try to wrap this up into some practical advice uh, relevant for the triathlete age groupers listening to this, we mentioned, and uh, what I want to get out of this is kind of when should you foam roll and and what would the purpose be? So one a case would be, I guess, uh, foam rolling before your workouts to increase range of motion. Is that correct? Absolutely. And as, as we said, 30 to 60 seconds, probably per muscle group, and maybe do two or three repetitions. By the way, speaking of that, when you speak of 30 to 60 uh, seconds per muscle group, do you can you foam roll both the left and right quad, for example, at the same time? Or is it better to do just the right uh, separately and then the left? We haven't um, examined that scientifically, but I don't see any reason why if you're on a foam roller, you couldn't do both legs at the same time. Okay, yeah. Uh, I guess the only or the thing there is that if you do both at the same time, then maybe you get lower on that pain threshold. But as you said, you didn't find, uh, that's what I find anyway, that if I do just one uh, one muscle group at a time, then I put more pressure on that leg which makes more it, pain yeah yeah but uh, but if, if that wasn't a big difference then that's right and as we said the pain and the intensity uh, at least above 50 percent doesn't matter so actually by decreasing the pain probably would help you out and, and there would be still the same increase in range of motion got it and uh, then the other situation uh, that we already mentioned is uh, after the workout to prevent uh, delayed onset muscle soreness uh, so can you repeat what you said about that just briefly and uh, when and how and why? Yeah, again, you would uh, use the uh, the same same method as you did uh, before the warm-up, uh, two to three repetitions, 30 to sec 60 seconds each for uh, each muscle group. And then you'll find that you'll have uh, decreased pain, decreased inflammation, and less impairments uh, for, as we studied at least for 72 hours, after a pain-inducing exercise workout. And uh, is there a case for using the foam roller outside of right before or right after a workout, like doing it every day in the evening, for example? Uh, what did you say about the long-term effects of Im improved flexibility range of motion? Is there, is there a case for doing that? Well, um, there's... As far as I know, we have the only study so far that we published in the uh, uh, it was in the Journal of International Journal of Sports Physical Therapy, and uh, we did four weeks of uh, foam rolling. And if I remember correctly, I think we we're doing it three to four times a week, and we didn't see any improvement in range of motion. Uh, 
So based on our one study, which of course I always tell my students, one study proves nothing, but with the only slim piece of evidence we have so far, uh, it seems that foam rolling is more of an acute effect and a delayed onset muscle soreness effect, and that uh, probably doing it every day um, on its own probably doesn't do a lot. Okay, got it. Uh, so uh, finally, final question on foam rolling. Do you, Can you recommend any further resources for athletes that want to learn more about it, like uh, it doesn't have to be scientific resources. It could be like a YouTube channel or a blog if you if you have found any good resources to learn more. Yeah, probably um, Performance Health is a company in the United States. It's an international company that uh, sells foam rollers and, and a variety of different uh, rehabilitation and training uh, um Equipment and uh, they, I think they have uh, a bit of information on uh, proper technique and and uh, studies that you can read, etc. So um, yeah, just look up uh, performance health on on the on the web, and you'll probably be able to find that. Right. Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes. So let's uh, move into the rapid fire questions here and uh, answer these in fifteen seconds or less, please. Starting with. What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to your field of expertise? Um, I'd say Sports Gene book. The Sports Gene's book. It came out uh, three or four years ago. Unfortunately, I can't remember the uh, the author's name. Da- David Epstein, I think. That's it. Yes, David Epstein. Yeah. yeah, I found that really interesting. And what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Organization. I'm uh, I'm very organized, and it allows me to uh, get things done efficiently. And finally, what do we, you wish you had known, or wish you had done differently at some point in your career? I wish I'd known the importance of power training. I was a football player, a North American football player when I was young. I, I did a lot of strength training, but nobody emphasized to me how important Olympic lifts were and, and, and the explosive contractions and plyometrics. And perhaps I, I was drafted into professional football, but I never made it because I wasn't fast enough. So perhaps if I'd known that, I might have uh, had a, a prolonged career as a professional athlete. Mm. And to some extent, that uh, translates to triathletes as well. I have uh, episodes on strength training that the listeners can go and listen to. And not not as much as American football, I'm sure. But there are definitely a lot of benefits from explosive lifting, especially in terms of running economy. So I'll link to some episodes for that in the show notes as well for the interested listener. Yeah, and especially, but, obviously, triathlons are not run just on flat surfaces. So going uphill, very important to improve uh, strength and power. Absolutely. Yes. So, uh, David, thank you so much. Where can the listeners follow you, find out more about you and uh, new studies that you've got going on, etc.? I think the probably the best uh, location would be ResearchGate, the website ResearchGate, and just look up BAME DG. It stands for David George, BAME DG. And uh, most of my articles will be uh, put up there eventually if uh, anything Perfect. comes up. Yes, that too will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, telling us about foam rolling. And uh, it was very interesting. I didn't know anything about about this really. So it's been incredibly uh, interesting to hear about uh, what you found through your studies. Well, it's been my pleasure and thanks for inviting me. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. A few key takeaways for me were to foam roll before your workouts to increase your range of motion 
which could mean better performance in that workout. So it really is an, an acute increase in range of motion that we're looking for here. And that's why we would foam roll before workouts. But you can also foam roll after workouts. And uh, in this case, it is to reduce the muscle soreness that uh, you might get from, in my own interpretation at least, especially hard workouts. So that's when, when I would use that. And finally, the final big takeaway is that the way you foam roll, it's recommended to do it for 30 to 60 seconds per muscle group. And uh, if you do it the way that uh, David described, with one second up the muscle and one second down, then that means that you would have 15 to 30 passes up and down, for example, the quads, and 15 to 30 passes up and down the hamstrings and 15 to 30 passes up and down uh, the calves and those are i guess the main the main muscle groups that we should focus on at least when it comes to to running and cycling then we might might maybe do something else for swimming and strength training but uh, really i think that that's about it for takeaways and anything that you missed you can find that on the show notes page on thattriathlonshow.com or click the link directly in the episode description. If you're new to the podcast, please subscribe so that you automatically get all the new episodes as they are released. I release two new episodes per week on Mondays and Thursdays, so don't miss them. And also be sure to check back to the probably 100, almost 170 episodes that I have published to date. So there's a lot to look at and, and binge listen to in the archives. And if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the podcast, would you consider giving it a rating and review on iTunes? That would be absolutely fantastic. That's one of the best ways that you can help me a little bit uh, and I can get the word out about the podcast to more listeners like you that find it through iTunes or any other app where you can rate and review it to help it rank a little bit better. Thank you to Roka for sponsoring today's episode. You can go to roca.com and explore their wetsuits, their triathlon apparel, swim skins and tri suits, sunglasses, and use the promo code that triathlon show, all one word, for 20% off your entire order. Again, that's roca.com and you can click the link in the episode description to get right to it. And big thank you to Precision Hydration for sponsoring this episode. Precision Hydration produce electrolyte products, electrolyte powder that you can mix up to a really great tasting drink that uh, provides all the electrolytes that you need to keep hydrated and it's you choose the strength that matches your individual losses and the way that you can gauge that is by taking their free online sweat test which will give you an individual training and racing strategy for how much and what concentration of electrolyte you should take in in what type of training and racing. So click the link in the episode description to get right, right to that sweat test. It's free, it takes just a few minutes, and it's very easy. And when you're ready to order, you can use the promo code Show, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. Or if you are already a customer, you can get 20% off your next order using the promo code TTS20, and this is only valid in August, so use that now. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.